Jesus is light. Let them 
It means to me to be here with you celebrating Easter together. A year ago, we were doing virtual Easter. As you heard or saw on the screen at the beginning, the Lord blessed us in that space. That video's got 1.1 million views. But when I think about everything we've been through, everything our families have been through, what our church has been through, our community, what our nation has been through. To be here with you and with those of you who are joining us on the live stream to celebrate the resurrection. My heart is full. And so welcome, welcome to Easter 2021 at Fellowship where we proclaim that Jesus is alive. Yeah. We're excited about it. You know, as I was preparing for our time together this morning, I reflected on how uncertain things have been for all of us for the last 12 or 14 months. I was just thinking about how nothing in our life has been guaranteed. We couldn't guarantee that events were gonna take place that had been on our calendar. We had things on our calendar for weeks and months and even years. Things, year after year, we kind of set our clocks by. Things written in stone that just got wiped away. There was nothing that we could guarantee was, a, was going to happen. We couldn't guarantee places would be open. We couldn't guarantee games would be played. We couldn't guarantee that any event or plan we made wasn't gonna be wrecked by COVID. And with all that uncertainty in mind, all that uncertainty that all of us have lived with these past weeks and months, this morning, I want us to look at something that is guaranteed. I want us to look at the guarantee of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to your Bible, in your Bibles. If you have your Bible or your digital device, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians is gonna be near the end of your Bible. It's about halfway through your New Testament. It's right after Romans. We're also gonna have the verses on the screen so we can look at them together. Well, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship. And if you're new, if you're visiting with us today, I wanna say welcome. And I want you to know that, yeah, today is a little different. I mean, it is Easter. It's kind of a big day for us. But what you're experiencing right now, singing praises to God, opening God's word, reading what God has to say to us through the Bible, and then asking ourselves, how can this affect how we live? How do we apply this? That's pretty much what we do every week here. And so if you're our guest today, and that sounds intriguing to you, if that sounds like something you might want to experience, I wanna invite you, come back next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, because we would love for you to be part of what God's doing right here at Fellowship. So, 1 Corinthians, it's a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was a, a church planter and a missionary. And he came to this strategic Greek city 
of Corinth. And while he was there, he planted a church. He stayed there for about a year and a half and, and kind of got this church established and then Paul moved on to his next ministry assignment. But two or three years later, he started to hear some things out of Corinth, some unsettling things. The truth is, the church had some problems. And so Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, sat down and he wrote the church a letter. And it's the very letter we have open in front of us this morning. And by the time we get to our chapter, chapter 15, Paul says to the church at Corinth, look, I wanna make sure you've got one thing straight. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse one. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, that word really means siblings in the Greek, so I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. That word gospel, it means good news. Paul says, I want you to remember the good news that I brought to you. In fact, he says, it's the main thing. It's the most important thing. He's gonna say in verse three, it's of primary importance. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says, here's that good news that is of primary importance, and we need to recognize the gospel message is just that. It's news. The gospel's not an idea. The gospel's not a new way of looking at things. It's not a principle. No, it's actual news about an actual historical event. And the event is this. Christ died. Not a meaningless death. Not a random death. Definitely not a purposeless death. No, he died for our sins. Christ, who had no sins of his own to die for, died for your sins and my sins. And that makes this news, this gospel message, very personal because it affects every one of us. And then Paul says after he died, he was buried. See, this wasn't a spiritual death. This wasn't a symbolic death. No, the man Jesus, his heart stopped beating. His lungs emptied the body, the human body of Jesus became a corpse that was buried in a tomb. A corpse just like every other body that's ever lived. But here's the really newsworthy part of this message. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. That's the news. On a certain day in history, an actual man who was dead and buried was resurrected to life. And Paul says, this news, this good news, it changes everything. He's gonna go on in the next few verses to demonstrate that. He begins by saying, you know, if the resurrection's not true, then everything else about the Christian faith is irrelevant. If Christ is not raised, then ministry's pointless. The character of God himself is called into question. If Jesus is not raised, personal faith is meaningless, and worst of all, we have no hope for the future. 
He sums it up like this in verse 19. If, if in Christ we have no hope, in this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. As believers, if we have no hope for a life beyond this one that's made possible through the resurrection of Jesus, then we're just pitiful. But, but, Paul says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so, yes, if Jesus' bones are in a tomb somewhere, we are a pitiful bunch. But the fact is, the historical fact is, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He says he's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. It's a common New Testament euphemism for death. So Paul says it's not a myth, it's not a story, it's not wishful thinking. It's a fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and here's why that's so important. Look at verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is quite literally a matter of life and death. Garland last Sunday talked about how sin and death entered into God's perfect creation through our first parents, Adam and Eve. If you missed that teaching, I wanna encourage you, go online, grab the podcast. It's worth listening to that Adam, the first man, ushered in death through his sin. Now, you've all heard the old cliche that there's only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. Will Rogers added, only one of those gets worse every time Congress meets. But we all know it's true, right? You can dodge your taxes. Nobody dodges death. Because in Adam, that means every person ever born, we're all descendants of Adam, all die. But there's a twist, and it is a big plot twist, that if you're in Christ, you shall be made alive. In other words, if you belong to Christ, you won't die, you'll live. But believers still die, right? There's probably not too many people in here who haven't lost someone that was important to them, someone they loved. And for the few of you who haven't had that experience, I hate to tell you this, you will. Because all in Adam died. So how can Paul say those of us who are in Christ won't die, we'll live? Because we all know that believers still die. Well, he explains it in the next verse. He says things happen in a certain order, but each in its own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Here's the order of operations, Paul says. First, Christ was resurrected. He's the first fruits. Then when Jesus returns, those who belong to Christ will be resurrected. Now, I wanna pause for just a second. Did you notice something in there? Did you catch a repeated phrase? A good Bible study method for all of us when we read our Bibles and study our Bibles on our own is to look for repeated words and phrases. Often, this is the biblical writer's way of underlining something, of putting it in bold for us. Did you catch it in this text? It's a little bit of an unusual word for us. In verse 20, he says, 
Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. Then again, in 23, he says, Christ, the first fruits. This really intrigued me. So I started doing a little reading about first fruits. And the idea is, it's that first ripe head of grain. It's that first vegetable ready to pick. It's that first piece of fruit that's ripe enough to bring in. You gardeners know the feeling. Midsummer, when you have that first tomato that the birds didn't get, that's ripe enough to pick. That's your first fruits. But in Israel, they weren't growing Arkansas tomatoes, which is kind of sad for them. They were growing grain. And their growing season's different than ours. We think of late summer, fall as the harvest time, but with Israel's weather and geography, a lot of their harvest comes in in the springtime. And the very first crop that come in in Israel is barley. And God had commanded Israel way back in the time of Moses. So we're talking about a thousand plus years before Jesus that he wanted them to celebrate the beginning of the harvest season. And so he told them he wanted their year to begin around that springtime harvest. And so the first month of the Jewish calendar, Nisan, is a month of festivals. The first one is the most important festival of their year. It's the Passover. Every year, the Jews would remember how God had redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. In Egypt, they killed a lamb and, and put the blood on the doorpost so that when God came to take the firstborn from each household, he would pass over the homes that had the blood of the lamb on the door. In the time of Jesus, Jews remembered that event every year by remembering the Passover, by slaughtering a lamb on Nisan 14th to remember how they had been redeemed out of slavery in Egypt by the blood of the lamb. Then the next day, the barley harvest would begin with the earliest of the ripe grains coming in. And then on Nisan 16th, the third day after Passover, they would celebrate the festival of first fruits. They would bring in those first ripened heads of grain. As a matter of fact, God told them not to eat any of the new grain until they had offered these first fruits and the, and the priests would wave the grain. And it was a thanksgiving to God, not just for those first fruits, but for the whole harvest that was to come. Those first heads of grain represented whole fields that would soon be harvested. Again, you gardeners are familiar with this. You bring in your first zucchini. <laughs> you don't think to yourself, I better enjoy this zucchini. It will probably be the only one I have. No, you're already picturing yourself leaving a grocery sack full of them on your neighbor's porch and running because you know you're gonna have more than you can eat. The same with the wheat or the barley harvest. The festival of first fruits celebrated and thanked God for all the harvest that was to come. And here's what I think Paul wants the Corinthian readers and us to see about the resurrection. Jesus was crucified on Nisan 14th, the day the lambs were slain. On Saturday, Nisan 15th, the year Jesus was crucified, it was a Sabbath, and so everyone rested. And then on Nisan 16th, the first day of the week, our 
Sunday, the first Easter Sunday. It was the festival of first fruits. When the first fruits of the harvest would have been offered, that's the day Jesus was resurrected. And Paul's saying to his readers that just as those first fruits of grain represent the whole harvest that'll come in at a later time, the resurrection of Jesus was also the first fruits, the guarantee that all those who are in Christ will be resurrected when Jesus returns. What Paul is saying here is that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our victory over death. Just as the early harvest of barley represented the harvest that was to come, Jesus' resurrection represented all those who would be resurrected when he returns. And Paul goes on in the next few verses to drive this point home. Look at it with me again. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Oh, when Jesus hung on the cross, it looked like evil had won. It looked like he'd been totally defeated, but Paul says, no, no, that was actually the victory. And that victory was sealed when the stone rolled away from that tomb and Jesus walked out of there alive forever. Because when he returns, and y'all, he's going to return. He's gonna reign and rule, and he's gonna put every evil power, every evil force under his feet. Satan's time will be up. And the last enemy to be destroyed will be death itself. Look at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What a statement. What a verse. The final enemy of all of us, even worse than taxes, death will finally be destroyed. This is what Pastor Tim Keller calls the great reversal. See, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't a one-off. It wasn't an event that happened in isolation and now we can just look back at it and wonder. No, the resurrection was so much more than that. It was the beginning of God undoing the curse that came into the garden through sin. What began when sin and death entered God's perfect creation, the separation, the shame, the death and decay, it's being reversed, beginning with the first fruits of Jesus. What we see in the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of God restoring everything that's been broken. And God's not gonna just glue those broken things back together. No, he's gonna set everything right as if it had never been broken in the first place. That's why at nearly the end of your Bible in Revelation 21, God says, behold, look, I'm making all things new. Jesus is the first fruits of the harvest where everyone who's in Christ will be resurrected as well. And if you're here this morning, or if you're joining us on the live stream, and you've never made a heart commitment, if you've never said, Jesus, I wanna ask you to forgive my sins, today could be that day. Because it's as simple as believing that gospel message that we started with, that Paul said was the most important thing. It's as simple as believing in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected to life on the third day. 
and that through him you can have eternal life as well. Later in the chapter, Paul looks ahead to the last day, the time when the trumpet will sound. Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus will be resurrected. And he quotes from the great prophet Isaiah. I feel like Paul kind of gets swept up in the moment. He says in verse 54, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he switches to a different prophet, Hosea, and he quotes him in verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The victory doesn't belong to death. He writes in verse 57 that it belongs to us. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. Yes, it is an incredibly powerful miracle. Yes, it is a demonstration of God's faithfulness. But above all that, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee of victory over death that's found in Christ alone. In just a minute, in just a minute we're gonna sing together, as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Because the curse is being reversed through the resurrection of Jesus. And so when we come to that line, I want you to sing it with all you've got. I want you to sing it with conviction. And I want you to remember that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our victory over death because he is risen.
Let's declare this together. This verse, it brings us hope. This is Isaiah 25, verse 8. Let's read it. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken.
Is that great news, church family? And is it not good to be back here together? So good. What a guarantee, Michael. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees our victory over death. And if you're a first-time visitor or a long-time attender, I want to invite you to come join us the next four weeks. We're going to unravel, unpack, and understand the implications of the resurrection and its implications for our life in the here and the now. And so we're gonna walk through Colossians 3 together as a church the next four weeks, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. If you have need this morning for prayer, just so you know, our prayer room is available and we have folks in there ready to pray for you to your, uh, to your right there. We also have communion available for those of you who'd like to practice that as a family. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior. To him be glory, majesty, power, and authority for all ages, for now, and forevermore. Amen and amen. He is risen. Let's live as if it's true this week. We love you, fellowship.